Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Shared Ireland podcast. Today our guest is an author who's just published his first book, Irish Unity, Time to Prepare. First of all, I'm going to read you a little passage from his book. Delusioned with the state of pro-union politics in Britain and Northern Ireland, scarred by what he and many others see as a detrimental vote for Brexit, and determined to heal the woods inflicted by partition, Ben Collins sets out a multitude of political, social and economic benefits of removing the border on the island of Ireland once and for all. Written from the viewpoint of a East Belfast former UUP campaigner, Irish Unity Time to Prepare addresses the concerns of unionists in Northern Ireland and sceptics in the Republic and urges everyone on the island of Ireland to escape the crumbling United Kingdom so that we can build a peaceful and prosperous future together for ourselves and our children. Welcome to the Shared Ireland podcast, Ben Collins. How are you? I'm very well, thanks very much. I've been looking forward to this for, for some time, so great to be here. As you can see, um, I, I am um, I'm maybe a better talker than a reader, but that was actually... <laughs> that makes two of us. <laughs> that, that was actually a passage there that I read from um, the back of your book, and I think it, it kind of very succinctly summed up your book, nearly, and... and what was your motivation for writing it? Is that fair? Yes, I think so. I mean, I uh, this is something I've been thinking about for for a long time. I first came up with the idea of uh, of the book a decade ago in the summer 2012, and um, it's not just that I'm a slow writer. It's the fact that uh, <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to take my time to think out to work out what it is I actually wanted to say, and um, you know there were various big big changes along the way with the um, with the um, the, the Scottish uh, independence referendum and then Brexit, the Brexit vote itself, both which I think had a huge impact on um, what's happening across across Britain and Northern Ireland. But I mean, I've I've always been open to the idea of Irish unity since the Good Friday Agreement. The key thing for me was peace, and then that gave us an opportunity to, to think about doing things differently. Yeah, that's fair. Ben, today, with your permission, of course, we're going to talk about you, who is Ben Collins, your background, what brought about, would it be fair to say, your change in thinking, um, and obviously we're going to discuss your new book, and then the future. What is the future for the island of Ireland? So first of all, Ben, could you tell our listeners who is Ben Collins? Um, I'm somebody who is, uh, over the last 20 years, I've worked in sort of communications across across the UK and Ireland. Um, I've lived and worked in Scotland, in, in Edinburgh and Dundee, in Cardiff and London, and now I uh, am based back in East Belfast, where I was born and brought up. And uh, I work out of a Dublin office and work across the island of Ireland and uh, internationally for clients. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm somebody, I grew up in a very pro-British uh, unionist background, um, but I very much, um, I went away to university and uh, started to think anew about things and the Good Friday Agreement came into being while I was a student in Dundee, which was great. And uh, that allowed me... Sorry, Ben, what age are you, do you mind me asking? Oh, sorry, 46. Okay. Um, although I look a lot older, that's, that's a different discussion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I, um, I, I was going away to, uh, to university. It really gave me a greater sense of self. And I think, um, I, know, I think Oscar Wilde said something like, uh, nothing narrows the mind like traveling. Mm-hmm. I find that uh, traveling um, it allowed me to have a greater sense of myself because Northern Ireland, particularly in the early 90s, was still a very, I grew up during the Troubles, it was still a very oppressive, still a very oppressive atmosphere at times. And um, it was um, it was good to be able to um, it was good to be able to um, look at you at what I thought of, of my own identity and what I was focused on and what I wanted what I wanted to be both both for myself and what I wanted my country to be. As you can hear, folks, um, myself and Ben are in the Stormont Hotel here, and so um, there will be a few. A little bit of voices coming from the background, but sure, it all adds to the atmosphere. Ben, what was your motivation, I guess, for writing the book? And, you know, did you... I, I often heard people saying that there's a book in us all. Uh, were you one of these people that wanted to write a book about anything? Or was this 
a passion just about this subject? Well, I definitely have a passion about this particular subject, but it, it is, it's the third time of asking. I've written a couple of uh, fictional novels. Some people might say that this book itself is fiction, but uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, and um, the, um, I think the, the, best, uh, the best advice uh, I ever saw for writers is the first thing you should do with the, the first book you write is put it in a drawer and never take it out again. Um, but in terms of this particular topic, yes, I was really passionate about it. I, just, I was standing in a pub in East Belfast with my wife and with uh, a cousin who was over from America, and I said, you know, I've just got this real belief that um, I've got this idea about writing a book about a pluralist outward-looking Ireland that's inclusive for everybody. And I, I think, I feel really strongly that's something I should write, that's something I believe in. Ben, what you're only after saying there, coming from a unionist perspective and background as you do, that seems, you know, when I hear you say that, like, you know, that doesn't seem like normal thoughts, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to anyone here, no. but they don't seem like normal thoughts for someone to have growing up in a unionist background. What, what, you know, what, what makes you different? I'm not saying you are different, but like, what, what made you think like that? Well, I've always had an inquisitive mind, and um, really I'm a great believer in uh, thinking for yourself. I don't believe in just following the herd just because you've always been a part of that herd. And, and I don't mean that in any disrespectful way to unionism, but, you know, I was brought up with this... Um, I was brought up in a background where people generally were very unionist, and as you know, during the Troubles, particularly prior to the Good Friday Agreement, um, well, it's not perfect now, we were even more segregated back then, so it was... Uh, I grew up with very much one one view of the world, and it was, it was going away to... I'd always felt Irish in addition to being British, that was just an instinctive thing for me to be Irish. Um, but going away to university, it gave me time, and I, I was able to you know, think outside the box because I was just determined during the Troubles, being a good Thran, Ulster Scott, I was not going to be threatened by anyone in the United Ireland. But once we had peace, that gave me the opportunity to think anew and then to really think, well, what do I actually want and what do I actually believe and what they think is going to be best for us? Have you got any, dare I say, blowback from within your own community? after writing such a, um, I guess it has to be described as a pro-unity book, and I'm just looking at the title of it here, Irish Unity, Time to Prepare. You know, it sounds like something Jerry Adams would write. <laughs> well, I mean, I, uh, yes, I mean, I, yeah, I have, I've had, I have, I've had, I've had some interesting um, responses, shall I say. I've, I've been called a traitor, which I expected, uh, but I've also been called transgender, which was definitely unexpected. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm not quite sure what they meant, um, and I don't, I don't care what people, what people say, but what I will say is that uh, if they were saying that to try and offend me or to try and make it as, a, as an insult, I'm deeply offended that people would, would, would say that, you know, we've got to have uh, equality and respect for everyone, and that includes um, people of a transgender uh, disposition. So um, I think, yeah. Uh, but I think, for me, the key thing is that I realised within unionism there is very much, and I, you know, I referenced the book about I was tired of living in a siege mentality. There is still very much a siege mentality there, and I don't mean that in a, in a disrespectful way, but it is people are just, they're brought up with a particular viewpoint and they're expected to stay with that particular viewpoint, and if you go deviate in any way or go outside that viewpoint, you are seen as breaking the code or whatever you want to call it, you know, from your, from your background. And you said something there that prior to the Good Friday Agreement that there's, under no circumstances would you be bombed into a united Ireland. And of course, you know, I can, I can understand that. But moving forward to now, 25 years after the signing of the Good Friday Agreement, how can we, as advocates of a new, inclusive Ireland, how can we bring people on the journey with us that still see potentially maybe Sinn Féin as being the bogeyman. How can we, as civic society, be more inclusive? 
Well, I want us to, I want us to build as broad a coalition as possible for Irish unity. It's not about um, it can't be about any one party. Sinn Fein will have a key role to play, and they, you know they're they're obviously doing very well in the opinion polls both north and south of the border. But if we successfully want to achieve Irish unity, it has to be something that isn't within uh, that, that isn't just a vehicle for one particular party. And that's why it was so good at the Ireland's Future event in Dublin. You had representatives from ten parties. You had five party leaders all being there, and you had representatives of civic society and I think that's all key um, I think it's it's about showing that's inclusive, it's outward looking but I think it's also about pointing out to our unionist brothers and sisters and I, I literally do have unionist brothers um, so that's not just a trite saying mm. um, it is about it's about um, setting out in detail yes I want, I, I believe passionately in reunifying our country but it's also in practical terms, particularly in the context of Brexit, that I believe there's a hard-headed realism why Irish unity, a reunited Ireland firmly anchored in the EU is going to be, going to be the best for, for everybody, so I think it's about looking at that, setting out how that's going to be the case across a range of different sectors, you know, looking at health, education, the economy, pensions, all that kind of stuff. And that's why we need to plan now, prepare now, so we can avoid the chaos of Brexit. Ben, you mentioned there planning, and of course we all agree, in order to do anything, in order to write your book, in order to sit an exam, in order to do the driving test, we must plan uh, so that we know what we're talking about beforehand. One of them. One of the, the, the key arguments that, that people that want to remain within the, the United Kingdom would say to me is, show me a proposal, show me a white paper document, show me where the consultation is, show me what I will be voting for whenever the day comes about that we will have a border poll referendum. And I guess, you know, if I want to be inclusive and I want to look at life through someone else's lens, you know, I also want to see that blueprint. I also want to know yeah. um, what we're voting for. Because I don't want to be one of those people that are just saying, vote yes, regardless of what we're voting for. It has to benefit us all financially. It has to be a better future for our children and our grandchildren and future generations so that they don't have to have these divisive conversations yeah. that many of us now are having. So, so I guess my question to you, Ben, is this. You have written a book. There's been a, a multitude of books written. But where is the actual tangible research and evidence that we can put out there to the eyes of the world and say, this is why we will be urging you to vote yes in any future border poll, and here's the reasons why. Well, I think for starters, thanks to Brexit, um, and I take no pleasure in the fact that it has been such an absolute disaster. But it's not a choice between the status quo and Irish unity. Um, we're going to have to do things differently no matter what. It's a choice between do we want to spend the next 20, 30 years helping to continue the separation between ourselves, continental Europe, between ourselves and the rest of Ireland, or do we want to build a new Ireland? And I think Irish unity is an opportunity for us to reset our public services and, 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 and to have a much better platform for growing our economy, attracting inner investment. In terms of the plan, I've put some thoughts down. I don't think I have all the answers. I may not have any of the answers, but what I wanted to do was in a very small way to be part of the conversation and hopefully to encourage others to be part of that conversation. And I agree with you entirely. You know, I think I would like the Irish government to set up a citizens' assembly to look at this. Um, I've, in the book, I talk about how in the Brexit forum, uh, following Brexit, the Irish government set up a whole series of sector forums looking at different aspects of that. And I think there could be a cross-party approach taking that. This is, the, this is a, an issue that is beyond the current coalition government, and it should be beyond party politics on the island. And I think all parties, I would encourage all parties to get involved in that. Uh, there has been some research done. There needs to be a lot more. Um, uh, but I think I, I think it is positive, and actually I think doing that research, providing that evidence base, that is one of the ways that we can try and address the fear and anxiety that people, particularly from a Protestant unionist and loyalist background, have. It's about getting into the brass tacks and the practicalities of what we mean, because we want to take. You know, we're we're passionate about about Irish unity and the benefits, and I know that there are other people, they they strongly believe in in the UK. But this is a chance for us to talk about the bread and butter issues and to try and have an evidence based discussion because that's that's where we will all succeed by having making a decision on the basis of an evidence base. Ben, when when I have these conversations um, with people from a unionist tradition, <clears throat> one one of the 
the main concerns that they have is the erosion, as they would say it, of their rights, the erosion of their Britishness. And I guess there's maybe no better person to ask a direct question to, and that's you, coming from and lived and born and bred in that tradition and still have, as you alluded to, brothers and family members that would think that way. What do you think is one of the biggest hurdles that, that pro-union people are going to have by making that leap and jumping on the train with us to, well, to form a new Ireland? I think it's interesting because I mean, we've seen the evidence that there are increasing numbers of people who are getting Irish passports. And I think for a lot of people that's crossed... That, that's only to skip the customs airports. Yeah, but that's the thing. I, but I genuinely think... For a lot of people, that is crossing the, the Rubicon. Yeah. And I think once they have got those passports and they're using them in airports, that mm. there can be a gradual evolution in their thinking. But for me, one of the key things is it is absolutely, it's about safeguarding uh, people's rights and identity. And I think this is where the Good Friday Agreement provides safeguard. It'll still, it'll still exist after we've voted for, for unity. Um, and I think the European Convention on Human Rights also provides those safeguards and helps to protect people's identity. We're still going to have King Charles and, and um, his successors will still be coming to the island of Ireland afterwards. We saw how well he was treated and respected by the leaders of, 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 of Irish nationalism in the north. And I think that's, that's a positive thing. I think it's about assuring people of that. But I think the key thing for me, it's also about providing a package of proposals for the PUL community um, because, you know, partition has been a disaster. I mean, I, I, I've, I've driven regularly through inner East Belfast, my way to and from work for 15 years or more, and it's a place, what we want to do is to provide hope and opportunity, and they're not getting that at the minute. And these are people that come from the same background as I do, and, I, you know, I want them to do well, and it's about giving people hope, it's about giving them uh, giving them the skills they need so they can they can get jobs and giving them opportunity and making them feel respected and, and, and I just think we don't, we, we don't have any of that at the minute. Ben, you mentioned there that the Good Friday Agreement provides a lot of these mechanisms that are built into it and it was a very well thought out document though not perfect and I think we all agree on that but I guess, you know, just listen to there obviously I'm nodding my head in agreement with you and so as many of our listeners, but there will also be listeners saying, you know, Ben, the problem with the Good Friday Agreement is we have got the largest unionist party in the north of Ireland that never have supported it, actually were outside the gates protesting against it when it was being signed, and currently are saying that it's dead and buried probably, you know, unless they get their way over the protocol. And I, and I guess my, my point to you would be this, is how do we encourage these people, namely being the DUP and our supporters, how do we encourage them to have an inclusive conversation about their future as well as our future when they don't actually support the Good Friday Agreement? Or that's how it seems to me and many others. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the Good Friday Agreement isn't the gift of any individual party. It was voted for by the people of Ireland, North and South. So it'll only be the people of Ireland, North and South, in a future referendum that'll be able to unpick that. Uh, that's the first thing. I think there's a big difference between political and civic unionism. Mm. Political unionism at this point in time has chosen not to engage, and they may not engage... Um, in, in any really meaningful way in advance of a border poll. Now, I think the invitation is out there for them to engage, and we will continue to make that case. But the fact they have chosen to, to this point not to engage, they do not have a veto on us having this constitutional conversation. And I think I think civic unionism is already part of this conversation. I know that I speak to people who are still who are from a unionist background who still believe in the union, and they're speaking to me, they're speaking to other people. Part of the reason I wrote this book is to give people the chance to read something because... I strongly believe we shouldn't all be just dug in in the, the views and uh, the, the political positions that we were raised with and that we were brought up with, that we should be looking at, well, what is generally going to be for the best? Um, I, think that's, I think that's one thing. But I, th I, th I think it's just about, as I said, part of the planning process. That, that, that will help to draw out the conversation. And I agree with you entirely. We need to have a, a detailed plan in place before we vote. Of course, I want people to vote for unity, but I want it to be a success. And that's why this book is in three parts. The first part is about um, uh, how do we get, how do we create the conditions for a border poll? Well, we're clearly living through those right now. 
The second part is, how do we actually win that referendum? And the third part is, how do we make a success of it? Because I don't just want to win the referendum. I want to build an inclusive, pluralist, outward-looking Ireland that's going to be the best future for all the citizens across this Ireland, regardless of nationality. Should the Irish government be doing more, Ben? Absolutely. Um, and I think Neil Richmond, a Fianna Gael TD, said that himself at Ireland's Future. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Leo Radker, whenever he takes over as Taoiseach, whether he uh, does make any more steps in that direction. Because obviously, famously, Leo came out with a remark that never again will the people of the North be left behind by an Irish government. And I guess it was on the back of that that spurred Ireland's future on to get the thousand signatures in an open letter to the Irish government. So, you know, you're right. Interesting times ahead. In fairness to the Irish government, they have set up the shared island unit. And that has, you know, given already benefits to particularly border regions that have been clearly affected by a hundred years of partition. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we, we, we need the Irish government to actually grasp the nettle here. And the nettle clearly is uh, the constitutional question. It is okay firing money across border projects, but we need them, as you rightfully say, the establishment of a citizens' assembly in order to plan, prepare, discuss, so that we can be properly educated in what is down the road for us. No, absolutely. I think that's key. I mean, even Peter Robinson, the former DUP mm-hmm. leader and former First Minister, said people should be preparing for a border poll as an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's more its more than an insurance policy for, for me, but um, it's not just what's happening in this island that makes it that, that's making a difference. We look at Scotland. Scotland are still they're waiting to hear from the UK Supreme Court. They could have the right to hold um, another Scottish independence referendum in the near future. Um, I lived and worked in Scotland for eight and a half years. The question of Scottish independence is not going to go away. And I think... Um, we had a former Prime Minister, who, uh, Boris Johnson, who, who may be the next Prime Minister, amazingly enough. Amazingly. Shockingly. <laughs> Shockingly. And um, he said, oh, this is, this is a, a voluntary union of equals. The point I'd make is, how can this be a voluntary union whenever they won't set out what the criteria is for a border poll and they won't let Scotland... They won't even say what's, what Scotland needs to do to be able to have another independence referendum. That does not stri- strike me as a voluntary union. But, you know, I just think things are changing all across the UK, so we need to be prepared. A voluntary union of equals as long as you live in London. He meant well. That brings me on nicely, Ben. How can we, as advocates of pro-Irish reunification, demonstrate to a British Secretary of State that the appetite is there? Because it's either it's it's actually only he or she that has the ability to call a border poll as set out in the Good Friday Agreement. And, and I guess I, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure if the, the, the exact warden, but like it's, it's where, whenever he or she believes that, that what is it, that, that there is evidence there yeah, to suggest. Likely, yes, yeah, that yes, is likely. Yes. Uh, uh, so, so basically my question is, how can we help ensure that evidence is there that it's likely, the conditions are right? Well, I think it's, I mean, we're already seeing things are changing. If you look at the Lucid Talk polls and even the recent uh, University of Liverpool poll that showed that um, actually whenever you took out don't knows, there were a greater number of people who were in favour of Irish unification than against. Uh, we've also seen opinion polls that even where there aren't uh, a majority in favour of Irish unity now, they, there are a majority in favour of having a border poll within the next five to ten years. So that's one criteria. I mean, I know that um, unionism, political unionism, would say, well, there's no majority, there's no nationalist majority, therefore there isn't, uh, there shouldn't be a border poll. I would say the counterpoint is there's no longer a unionist majority. We don't have uh, the majority of MLA, the majority of MLAs are no longer unionist. Uh, in terms of uh, unionist MLAs are only a minority now and have been since 2017. The, 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 out of the MPs that are elected from Northern Ireland, a minority of those are uh, unionist as well. Whenever our, our last European Parliament election, only one out of the three MEPs was unionist. Uh, local councils, it's also, it's, there's, there's no clear unionist majority either. And I think that's not going to that's, that's change. 
Um, so I think I think there's a, there's a range of, of different different things, but I think the key part in this is about getting uh, the shadow sector. State Peter Kyle has said that he will put together, he will set out the criteria for a border poll, and that's to be welcome. But we want the current UK Conservative government, for however long it lasts, to also set out the criteria. That's you know that that is absolutely key, um, and it's not it's not right. But I think we just we need to we need to we need to set out. It's, it, there isn't one single lever for this. I think there's a range of levers. And the thing I'd also say is the a Good Friday Agreement says that the Secretary of State must call a border poll where it appears likely that there's a majority for United Ireland. That does not preclude him or her from calling a border poll at another time. And I think it would be beneficial once we've done a period of, of planning. You know, let, I think we should, we, should, we should test that. Let's find out what people actually think. I love that word, test it. And the point that I would put to anyone that is against Irish reunification is if you have nothing to fear well then what have you got to fear by testing it and plus you or I or anybody aren't advocating a, a referendum tomorrow morning no absolutely next not. week next month next year because as you correctly said there Ben we, there is a period that we need to have proper consultation to avoid the chaos like Brexit in 2016 yep. so like you know after this consultation is done, and everybody should be pretty familiar with what they will be voting for, well, if nobody has anything to fear and are confident in their union, well then, let's have it. Well, I think was it, it, was, it was 2012 or maybe 2013 where Arlene Foster's and, as the then MLA said, well, maybe we'll call, we'll call a border poll, you know, put this issue to, to rest. Funnily enough, we don't hear any unionists saying that now. I mean, I describe it in the in the book as it's like um, it's like unionism. It's like the Maginot Line, you know, the French army in the Second World War that had this supposedly very strong defensive position, and once it was breached, that was it. You know, it, it all fell apart for the for the French army in the in the Second World War. And I think for I think there's a danger here for unionism that by trying to deny that there is a that there isn't trying to deny that there is even a right to have this conversation. Is, is wrong, you know, a healthy democracy, we should, be able, we should all be able to espouse our own political views, particularly, you know, these are political views that are peaceful. We're talking about what's going to be the best for all citizens. We're not talking about having victory of one side over the other. We're talking about what's the best for everybody. Very important point as well. This certainly isn't about victory, you know, because equality can never be about victory. Equality is what it says on the tin. It's, it's there for everyone. Uh, equal rights for everyone but but again I guess you know me trying to walk a mile and somebody coming from the unionist traditional views I can understand how they could see it they've been dominant for a hundred years in the formation of Northern Ireland so obviously the erosion as they would see it of their supremacy could be followed by you know a period of domination um, from pro-United Irelanders onto them. So, you know, I guess it's something that if I want to look at life through their lens, I can do. But again, what would you say, Ben, to, in order to reassure people that, that it wouldn't be, you know, the tables wouldn't be turned on them? Well, one of the many problems with partition was that it created effectively to um, it, 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 it created two ethnic states, mm. a Catholic state in the south and a Protestant state in the north, and that's not good. I believe in diversity. Um, you know that is absolutely key for me. Um, I, I think it's I think it's key. You know I, I said there's no strength without unity. That's that's what it says at the front of my book. But um, for me, I think it's you look at you look at the Republic of Ireland now, Irish Republic, Ireland, whatever you want to call it, um, and you see they have voted for a woman's right to choose. They voted for equal marriage, and um, I think those are, those are positive those are positive things. And I, I would like us to have those same rights in Northern Ireland. I know a lot of people who might come from a unionist background are frustrated that political unionism doesn't seem to want us in Northern Ireland to have the same social rights as they do in the rest of the UK. So they don't want an economic border, but they're very happy to have a social policy border, which I think is wrong. But I come back to my earlier point about the Good Friday Agreement provides all kinds of rights and safeguards, and the same with the European Convention on Human Rights. You know, the EU is our friend in all this. The EU is itself the most successful peace project on the on the European continent for the last 
700 years, and that will, that will provide safeguards. The EU is absolutely committed to what we're trying to achieve um, within, within the island of Ireland um, in terms of equality for all. They, they, they've been focused on that for, for 70 odd years of their existence, and they want to see the same. I'm absolutely adamant they'll want to see the same in a reunited Ireland. Another common criticism, Ben, would be people say that the South couldn't afford us. And I guess what I say to them, it isn't about the South affording us. It's, it's, a, it's about you know, doing away with the North. It's about doing away with the South. It's about us having a blank piece of paper. And it's about using our imagination and creating a better island because we've got a two-tier system here and none of them is perfect. Uh, so it's about, I, I'm assuming there will be a withdrawal package from the British government. I'm assuming the EU, um, they've already said if there is a United Ireland that will be back into the EU. I'm assuming America's got a few pounds still <laughs> kicking about. And, and because we wouldn't have a dual everything, like yes. we currently have two police forces, we have two health services, we have two education services, we have two infrastructures. In fact, we don't have, even have a proper nail, a real network throughout Ireland. So, you know, streamlining everything, international money, and being imaginative, um, my answer to that is, can we afford not, not to well, go exactly. down this road? I, I, you don't need to be an economist to know that yeah. two, two of something is more expensive than one, of, than one thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, and because of partition, we have two of, we duplicate so many things, and I totally agree. I think we've, we have to get the efficiencies and we have to go for integration. I want to see um, one country, one parliament, one island, and uh, I don't believe there is a kinder, gentler form of partition. I think we have to bring things together, you know, having one health service. And I see um, a new Ireland as an opportunity for us to reset public services. Because, yes, health, uh, the, the, the health service here may be free at the point of use, but um, you can't get near it. Um, at times, and there's, there, you know, there's a real shortfall there, and I think there's much more that we could do on an all-island basis, and it's the same with, with infrastructure, and as you say, um, with uh, things like the police force and all that. I mean, I know I, I was a, a government press officer at the time of the St Andrews Agreement, and I know that the Irish government, one of the things they offered at that time to the DUP was that they were, they were willing to create one economic development agency for the island, and the DUP declined. They wanted to keep it separate, and I think things like that alone is bad and it's wrong because I tried um, in a previous job I tried to take um, uh, some chartered surveyors across to New York and I wanted to do it on an all-Ireland basis with my counterparts in the south but it was it was just it was virtually impossible because uh, Invest Northern Ireland and uh, IDA Ireland just weren't weren't able to work together um, because they're directly competing with each other and I think if we can work in a coordinated manner in a joined up manner and strategically work to try and uh, and uh, and grow uh, inward investment and infrastructure on an all-in basis. And one of the benefits, and there, thank goodness there are some benefits of the COVID-19 pandemic, is that we no longer need to just look at the world through how do we get in, in and out of our urban centres for work. You know, this is, there's a new opportunity here for us to really build and grow the economy and our lives across the island. You know, we've got a beautiful island here. And yes, we need to have good broadband, but the fact is, we can do that on an all-island basis. People, people can, you know, can work anywhere in Ireland, and they don't need to. You know, we can save on carbon emissions by not having to go into Dublin and Belfast and other urban, urban, urban centres. But we should be doing that in terms of foreign direct investment as well, so that we're not having to add to the overheated Dublin housing market or the overheated Dublin office market. There's real opportunity here, but we need to take that strategic all-Ireland view. Hundred percent, could not agree more. People will say, obviously, the jewel and the crown with the union is the NHS but like you know you've hit the nail on the head then there's no point having something free uh, if it ain't working you know I personally know you know everyone listening to you and I speak will know people that are on waiting lists for 18 months two years in excess of that you know uh, very recently um, someone who's very close to me um, had mental health issues and like actively suicidal and they were referred to a crisis team a crisis the very nature of the word crisis means it's imminent, it's now. They were, they were referred for 18 months. Like, yeah. Does that person have the luxury of knowing he or she will still be with us in 18 months? But again, I have to be fair, the ridiculous house prices in Dublin, rental to buy, 
young people are being forced out of um, the country, going abroad, because you know the system in the south um, simply isn't designed for the ordinary working class man and woman on the street. Um, so yes, the the rule books need to be torn up on both sides of the border. We need to, um, as Reverend Karen would always say, dare to dream, which is a beautiful phrase. Um, but you know we have the the expertise, we 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 have the vision. And, and it's about taking that leap uh, and, and dare to dream. Yeah, look, I don't think none of this is going to be easy, but it's going to be worthwhile because this is about what is going to create the best future for all the citizens across this island. That's ultimately what it's all about. This isn't about you or me. It isn't about our dream for bringing our country back together. It's about what is going to be the best for our family, our friends and our neighbours. And I genuinely believe that that's the best. I I know somebody who um, went to an accident emergency um, department recently, spent three days on a trolley and then was sent home. You know, that is not a good way to be. Um, I can give a very specific uh, example as well that um, in terms of the health service, in England, they passed uh, recently, earlier this year, the Health and Social, Social Care Act. As a result of that, uh, the health service in England is now able to sell off private health data of, of patients to third parties. And that is something, once that data is out the door, you can't control it anymore. We don't want that in any part of Ireland. And I think, you know, this is why I've been part of the EU, where they do still protect data. And this is the thing, it seems quite, I know it's a policy wonkery point, but uh, in the EU, they have the general data protection regulations. The UK government has said they're going to diverge from that. That is a concern because once you lose your patient data, that's a real problem. And actually, if we're talking about better health outcomes, digital health, having your data having access to data but knowing it's sufficiently anonymised and safeguarded and protected, that can create better health, better health outcomes to, to prevent illness and also to manage illness and to deal with surgery in terms of robotic surgery and so on and, and all of that. And also just quickly to come on to your other point, we have suffered for generations on both parts of this island of young people going away from the north people from my generation. I'm one of the few people I know that comes from my background who went away to university and came back. My two older brothers, I have one in London and one in New York, and they've gone away because they find the atmosphere here oppressive, they want the jobs, and they just wanted to get away. And as you critically say, in the South, it can be for different reasons that people can't get on the housing ladder, and they've had to go away. Now, I think it's good experience to be able to go away if you choose to go away. But what I think is really sad and unfortunate if people feel forced to leave this island because they feel they've got no alternative. And that's sad because once people go away, it's very rare that they ever come back. I came back not once but twice, and that's thanks partly to my, to my better half. But uh, the point is, we want to be able to create opportunities so that people want to build alive their lives here. We want to be welcoming for people who want to come here for the first time, but we also want to make sure those who want to stay here have that option as well. And absolutely, you're right. I think bringing both parts of the island together, creating those opportunities, then we can, we can do that. Ben, <clears throat> in case I forget, when it's fresh in my mind, can you explain to our listeners if they want to purchase... Um, your new book, Irish Unity, Time to Prepare, where can they do so? Uh, it's available in all good bookshops, uh, which uh, means uh, if, you're, if, you're in, if you're in Northern Ireland, it's in places like uh, New Alibis in Belfast, but it's also available uh, online from W. Smith's, Waterstones, uh, Amazon, Book Depository, uh, but if you want to, uh, all the places it's available are mentioned on my publisher's website, Lueth Press, which is L-U-A-T-H Press, uh, which is a, a, an independent Scottish publisher, and they'll provide all the details of, of where else it's available. And just when I'm on this subject, you have very kindly uh, donated a book to the Shared Ireland podcast team. You are going to sign it and personalise it, and we're actually going to give away this book to anyone who listens to this podcast. And the only requirement is if you retweet it and say something say something in the thread underneath here. Hopefully positive. <laughs> well, they would need to read the book first, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully positive yes. about what we're talking yes, about. Yes, yes. And I should say, it's also, the book is also available in Books Upstairs in Dublin. Ben, we are nearly 40 minutes in. Would you believe it? Time flies when you're having fun, as I would say. Um, really appreciate your time today. Um, how did your book launch go, by the way? 
Uh, it was great, yeah. I mean, I, I had a book launch in the Lynn Hall Library, which is brilliant. And then thanks to Kevin Rooney at uh, Irish Border Pool, he arranged an event in Westminster um, uh, just uh, on Monday past there, which, which was really good as well. And uh, Books Upstairs in Dublin have, um, are facilitating uh, like a, a sort of a Dublin launch event tomorrow. So, yeah, no, it's been great so far. I've had lots of positive feedback, and it's just, it's just great to get it out there and to be adding my, my, my small thoughts to the conversation. There's no flies in any of you's authors. Just the perfect time for Christmas as well. <laughs> well, yes, I actually had a book publishing deal for about a year and a half, but my previous job wouldn't have allowed me to, to publish this. So it was only whenever I started a new job with a communications agency at the end of May that I was able to uh, put this all in motion. Very good. Tailing off, Ben, uh, we always like to end on a slightly more light-hearted uh, subject. So um, we've kind of got a few standard questions that we ask everyone. So the first one of these questions is, if you could be anyone for one day, who would it be and why? That is, um, <clears throat> that is a really good question. Um, I, guess, uh, I guess I'd be Joe Biden for a day because he's very sympathetic to Ireland and um, uh, he could have another word. I'm sure he already has done, but he could have another word in the air of whoever the next UK Prime Minister is to tell him to stop messing around with the Northern Ireland Protocol and sort it out. But I think he's probably already done that anyway. I think he gave Liz Truss a, a good warning. Uh, who inspires you, Ben? Um, I think lots of people inspire me. Um, I, think, um, I think somebody like Nelson Mandela, the fact that it, the background that he came from and that he, he moved from somebody who had advocated violence to then advocating the peaceful reunification and the way I played rugby at school, I'm a big rugby fan, just simple things like he actually stopped his own party from dismantling the Springboks because he realised that was important to white South Africans and Afrikaners and he wanted to build an inclusive uh, new South African nation post-apartheid. I think, I think that's great. Um, I, think there, um, I think other people like Bobby Kennedy um, I think is, is, is very inspirational. Somebody who was seen as this hard, hard-headed, hard-nosed, young political operator who was just all about getting his brother elected and then the very sad of his brother being assassinated, he really grew and developed as a person. And he, I don't know whether it's right that he embraced his sadness and his grief, but he really he felt a connection to, to, to those that needed help and support. And he, uh, he, did, he, he, he worked and he, he developed this, this amazing view of the world. And I think it's one of the great what-ifs. If he had survived and become president, what would he have done in 1968? How would the, the US have been different? Um, so I, I think I think he's good um, in terms of uh, in, in terms of others. I think Mary Curie, the fact that she's done so much for 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 healthcare, I think that's that's that, that's really brilliant. Um, somebody like uh, Amelia Earhart, you know, um, I like um, I, I don't mind flying in planes, but the thought of trying to fly across the Atlantic is <laughs> a plane myself is just a step too far for me. And the fact she did that back in the 1920s, I think that's amazing. Um, Josephine Baker, the jazz singer, she's uh, brilliant, you know, an, uh, an African-American lady who went off to France and really broke the mould in terms of jazz and was just a sort of cultural icon that still has real re- relevance today. A very inclusive answer. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received, Ben? Um, I guess... Uh, don't, don't write a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably, that, that's pro- yes, if you write a book, you've always got this voice in the back of your head saying to you, you shouldn't be watching this TV show. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. And you'd, that's a blip. Yeah, I mean, I think I used to, whenever I was a student, I used to have to, I had to write, um, I've got three degrees. And as my dad has always said, the number of letters after your name are, are inversely proportionate to their worth. And mm. I think that's right. Mm. But um, I used to write these. I used to have to write like a dissertation and it was um, the first time it was 5,000 words and the next couple of times it was 10 or 15,000 words and I always said back then that whenever you wrote something <clears throat> you never really felt satisfied you just reached a point where you just couldn't physically or mentally write anymore <laughs> and writing this book thanks to having an editor um, uh, Caitlin Mellon who is absolutely amazing um, I would recommend her to anybody, a uh, freelance editor who's, who's worked with a whole load of authors. Um, she really helped bring this all together. And then Gavin at Lewith Press and the team have been brilliant. But I guess the best bit of advice is you can only eat an elephant in small chunks. That's what work colleagues of mine used to say in Edinburgh. You know, no matter how big something is, you've just got to try and break it down. And, you know, gosh, the whole question of reunited Ireland, there were times whenever I felt overwhelmed 
trying to think how on earth am I going to am I going to tackle this? But you've just got to try and break it down, and that's I think that's an important point for life as well. That you've just you know uh, another thing my mother-in-law has always said: uh, work more, worry less, and I think that's true as well. Just um, before we move off this subject, Ben, what would you say or how would you point someone in the right direction if they're listening to this podcast and they believe they would like they believe there's a book in them? What would you say to them and where would you point them? Well, I would say to them, you know, they can certainly uh, get in touch with me. I'm on social media, Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook and so on. I don't mind if people want to contact me. I, I, don't, I don't have all the answers. Um, I suppose the other thing, there, there's really good, there, there's a much more successful writer than me, Will Dean, who is, um, uh, he's called the forest author, he's an English guy, he lives in a forest in Sweden, and he's written a whole load of really good um, sort of crime fiction, murder mystery uh, books, uh, with uh, his lead uh, lead uh, character called uh, Tuva, and um he does, uh, he does all kinds of uh, YouTube videos and he's very active on um, he's very active on Twitter where he shares these YouTube videos and he's also been responsive, he was responsive to me about, he, he does stuff about how do you write out uh, like a plan, how do, you get an, how do you get an agent, I don't have an agent, I've tried multiple times but I haven't got one, um, but he's very good at how you do all these things, uh, he's very good, uh, Stephen King's book on writing is also very good for fiction, in terms of non-fiction I think the key thing is if you have a, a topic that you're passionate about, I mean I think the best bit of advice is write about something you yourself are passionate about because in a very selfish way you've got to write for yourself in the first instance you've got to you've got to believe what you're writing about and you can't try and write in somebody else's style it just doesn't work and it's editing as i said i wrote two fiction books which were rubbish um but it's you've got to treat your brain and your writing part of your brain as a muscle in itself and you've working through that so even if you write a whole load of pages and it, you have to end up throwing them away. That's not waste. That's you getting into the groove, finding your voice. It's like practice, yeah. training. Yep. Um, do you believe there's another book or series of books in the, off and down the line now that you've got the first one over the line? Well, I, I'm very focused just on this at the moment and just trying to follow up on that. But yeah, I would, I would like to. I said to my publisher, um, I mean, I had, to, I had to edit this so many times because I, I, whenever I started this, it was about four prime ministers ago, UK prime ministers ago. Only six weeks ago then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was only six weeks ago. <laughs> I, I, I saw something online. Somebody said, uh, my son has gone through, I think it was something like four chancellors and two prime ministers and he said my son was only born four weeks ago or something like that but um, the point is that um, yes uh, I think I would write something that uh, that isn't going to be time bound and where you don't constantly have these changes in terms of Brexit mm, yeah. but yeah who knows maybe How do you switch off and relax Ben? Um, I actually found I didn't realise how much I enjoyed sport until we went into the first series of lockdowns and then whenever even sport itself was cancelled that was difficult but I remember watching the first game of, of, of football, of soccer, and it was uh, Borussia Dortmund against somebody, and it was your guy, uh, Haaland, who's now playing for Man City. He scored the winner. And just watching it, even though there weren't any fans in the stand, watching it on TV and messaging friends who were sitting in their own houses watching that on TV, it was just so relaxing because I was able to focus on it without having to concentrate too much, and I really enjoy sport that way. I mean, I should play more of it myself, but I just I find watching sport is relaxing because you can focus your mind, but you don't have to concentrate too much. Um, that and reading. Um, I, try to, I try to read a lot more fiction, but invariably I find myself reading non-fiction, which is not always <laughs> that relaxing. Yeah, uh, I feel your pain. Last question, you'll be delighted to hear, Ben, and as um, we always end all podcasts like this, if you could invite three people, either alive or dead, to your fictional dinner party, who would them three people be and why? Well, I should have said, I should really say my family, uh, because I, 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 in terms of relaxing, so that, that's a given, uh, spending time with my of family. Course. And my, my two very uh, uh, badly spoiled uh, miniature schnauzer dogs. But in terms of three people, um, I think I would, uh, I would definitely, uh, I, I would like, I've already mentioned Amelia Earhart, I think I would like to meet her, her thinking about um, why she wanted to get in the, well, I mean, I guess she just wanted to do it because it was something to be done. Why she wanted to get in the plane and to fly across the Atlantic. I mean, I think that's amazing. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Columbo. I think he's a really interesting character, Peter Falk. Um, 
Um, he, as, as the character, as or, char- or as himself. No, I think as the character. I mean, because I think there's a bit of Peter Falk in the character. I think the character was amazing. You know, he was this guy who, who he pretended to be really stupid, but actually knew exactly who the killer was, 99.9 percent of the time, if but, not 100. But, but, but come here, was he actually not the, the most stupidest? Investigator, because nine times out of ten, or maybe ten times out of ten, the killer was always in the room at the start of the program. <laughs> yes, that's that's a, that's a very good point. Um, he, but it always took him an hour to figure it out. Yeah, it always took him an hour to figure it out, or to or, or, or to, to to draw the killer into a false sense of security, and yeah. then find them that they ended up they were they were so exhausted by the whole process that they that they either tried to kill. <laughs> Columbo himself, well, they just admitted it, just to end the torture that he had caused yeah. for them. Cost for them. Um, and I guess the third person would be, I've already mentioned him, but um, Robert Kennedy. I just think he's a fascinating character. I think he, 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 went, he went too soon. I think he had, he had lots of amazing ideas. And I would, I would love to have seen what he would have done if he had been able to be president. I mean, apparently he said himself, he thought it was likely he wasn't going to survive, but I think that's amazing, the fact that he still put himself forward for the presidency because he believed in what he was saying. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure, and we are approaching 50 minutes here now, and I know you're a busy man. I, I can see your phone going off in front of me here on the table. Um, I'm going to leave you with the last word, and I guess through the nature of the conversation that we've had today, the nature of your book, Irish Unity, Time to Prepare, what message would you say to the people that are on the fence and that are against reunification? Give them a message for me. I would say be part of the conversation. This is happening now and it's happening because things are changing. This isn't, this isn't a sectarian headcount. This is about having a discussion about what is best, what's going to create the best future for all the people of this island. And, you know, I'm not... I don't take any pleasure saying this, but the opinion polls and the way that we are treated by the British government shows Northern Ireland is not a priority. Um, and I, I think never we can has never has been, and we can create a better future. And I think I don't take for granted that people in the South will vote for Irish unification, but I think we all need to sit down together and work out what's going to be the best future. And the way we do that is by having a conversation. Nobody should have anything to fear to talking about what is the, what is the democratic, best, peaceful way for us to have a prosperous and hopeful future for everyone across this island, no matter their background or identity or citizenship. And I, I, I just say be part of the conversation. Let's have an evidence-based discussion, and then, 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 whenever we've planned that out, let's let, let's decide together what that future is going to be, and let's be reassured that whatever that future is, everyone will be protected and cherished. We've done horrible things have happened to people in this Ireland, but I'm um, you know. Anybody that I know that's part of that wants to be part of a new Ireland, we, we want to create a better future for everybody. And I genuinely believe that can be for us. And as you said, there's lots of people around the world, you know, 70 to 100 million Irish diaspora. They can help us with this. The EU can help us with this. And, you know, the British government, I don't think they, they'll want to be around for too long. But this is our chance to, to have our say and to have a control on how we're going to create that better future for all of us together. I'm Ben. I will unashamedly give you another opportunity um, where, once again, can anyone purchase your book if they want to do so? You can purchase the book uh, through um, all the details are on Luath Press, L-U-A-T-H Press, um, but you can get it in New Alibis in Belfast, you can get it in Books Upstairs in Dublin, and you can get it through Waterstones, um, W.H. Smith, uh, Amazon, and uh, Book Depository, and... uh, and a bookshop which helps all kinds of independent bookshops across across Ireland and further afield. Ben Collins, been a pleasure spending an hour in your company. I wish you all the best personally and with your book. Folks, that's it. Thanks for listening. And as usual, if you did enjoy what you heard, a comment underneath would be appreciated. And remember, we are giving away one of Ben's books to anyone who retweets this podcast, Irish Unity Time to Prepare. Until next time, take care, be good, bye-bye.